Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. Hello, welcome to HivriaCast. Uh, this is, I don't even know, again, I don't know what episode this is anymore. I was just mentioning this on another one. We've done so many, I have so many backed up, which is so great. We have yeah. so many coming. And so I'm so excited <laughs> to welcome Erica Dreyfus. Uh, wow. So exciting to have you here, Erica. It's very exciting to be here. I mean, I'm so excited yeah. I started talking just as you were <laughs> talking before because I was trying to think. I, I feel as though I've certainly listened to about six. Or I, w- would you say that maybe five or six have, have gone? At least six yeah. we're at now, yeah. And so I don't know how many you have, you know, Yeah, I think waiting. we have like five in the... Five more. Yeah. yeah. So. No, it's wonderful. It's so exciting. Oh, it's so great to be here. Like, So first of all, before... We get into the whole introduction. I do want to just say how awesome it is for me personally to have you because, like, you were like the first person, like, you. So, you write about uh, actually, you know what? Maybe we should do okay. a little bit of an intro. Right. You write about writing, right? Online, mm-hmm. among other things, obviously. Yes. Um, with like your blog, what's it? Uh, I have two blogs. Yeah. I have one that's called Practicing Writing, which is for the people who may not necessarily be so interested in the Jewish specific material. Mm-hmm. And then I have one called My Machberet, mm-hmm. um, because Machberet being one of the very few words I remember from <laughs> Hebrew school. <laughs> and um, it seems an appropriate word yeah. as well. So, um, and that's where I sort of, you know, try to corral a lot of the the things that for the people who are mostly interested in the Jewish literary experience. How long have you been doing those? Well, I can tell you I've been doing it for at least six years, probably somewhat longer because around the time my book came out, my book of short stories, I restructured the website mm. and had the two existing blogs brought to the same site. They had been on Blogger. I don't know how many years before that I've been doing it. Right, because I was going to say, like, on my end, it's been... I Well, actually, I think I can start to figure it out a little more now that we're speaking. Um, Yes. Well, I've been doing a newsletter for writers Mm. since 2004. So that's my practicing writer newsletter. And I think I may have started splitting up some of the blog content around the time of the Second Lebanon War. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's an interesting way to market. Yeah. Well, because... Um, there was some discussion on one of the literary blogs that I found not so constructive, mm. shall we say. And um, and I started to get into some not so constructive discussions <laughs> with people. And on the internet? On the internet and even on my <laughs> own blog. And when, I, and when I shared particularly things about Israel on mm. my practicing writing blog, that tended to be a little bit problematic. And I thought, not because I was ashamed or I just didn't really want to have to deal with with certain people um, on that blog. And so I thought, you know what, for people who are really interested in what it is to be Jewish, including what it is to be committed to Israel, um, I'm going to have a separate space. Mm. And that's that's sort of how I think, if I'm, if I'm remembering it correctly, that's, that's how they diverged somewhat. That's amazing. I mean, because mm-hmm. I... I know that what was so cool about this is that I discovered you as a blogger. This is what I was going to say before, is I discovered your original blog, the one for writers, yes. uh, when I was just like really, really, really starting out. Like, I mean, I don't even know if it counts as starting, <laughs> like researching starting. Um, 
And I just remember, so I remember somehow, I think I was researching what are the blogs about writing and, and especially something that was like practical and useful that would like have, you know, you, your blog has these things about like opportunities for writers, paid opportunities, like these things that a lot of writers don't know how to find. So it was like, it was so amazing to have that. And then I remember like maybe a year into following it, I was like, oh, she has this Jewish thing. That's like, I had no idea you were even Jewish, which is funny knowing your name really? and everything. But Erica Dreyfus. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, I was just following because it was awesome. And that was so cool for oh me. Oh my, okay. Yeah. And then that we were able to connect through Hevria, that was like yes. just magic to me. Yes. And uh, so that's like, for me, this is like crazy because it was like, just uh, it reminds me of like that talk I had with Yitzhak Muli when he was on, where I was like, you were that guy who was like this artist. And, and again, to me, I feel like the lesson is always like, it's so special when artists support other artists. Absolutely. You know? It's yes. like, and they're so grateful. It's so, it's such a, it's such a thing where I feel like, you know, being an artist is, is an, even when you do collaborative stuff, I feel like there is some loneliness involved in it. There's mm-hmm. always some loneliness, you know? Right. And even when you're collaborating with others, that group can feel alone, you know? Um, and that's changed a lot with the internet and right. with the sorts of community building that you were doing, which I am so grateful for. Well, I mean, what's, yeah, I mean, what's so cool is that you inspired that, you know, oh, like you're well, a big part oh of that. Oh, my. <laughs> well, I think that's... I'm so blushing. C- you can't see it, but I'm <laughs> blushing. Uh, well, it's, I mean, well, that's what is cool about it, like, that we can see how that one thing can lead to like another without you having any idea, like, and what is amazing that you've been doing this for so long, I would imagine that there's probably so many stories you don't even know about, you know? That's one thing we've learned in Hemria that we'll like get an email every now and then that's like, oh, like you inspired me to do this and this and this. And that's like, those are the people that decide to reach out, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you've gotten stuff like that. Sure. It's, and it's really wonderful when people tell me that, um, you know, you mentioned that I share opportunities for writers and that's, mm-hmm. that's a big thing that I'm very, I'm proud of. But when people tell me that it led something that I shared, led them to publish something, either a first time publication or a book after having published stories and essays. Oh, wow. It's really amazing. It's really magnificent for me. That's really special. It's, it's the, I used to be um, a teacher. I used mm. to be an instructor of writing and I love oh, helping really? students. And in a way this is, it's a combination of, you know, that teaching part of me. And, mm. um, and I also believe in this concept of literary citizenship, that it's, that it's a way of rendering a community service. And some of what I do there is in the, the so-called mainstream or secular um, literary sphere. And then I really do enjoy what I do um, in, the, in the Jewish world too. So can you, do you mind like elaborating on literary citizenship, what that yes. is and what, what's involved there? Well, I, other people have, have written about this, actually, in a far more eloquent way than I'm sure I'm about to, to do it. But as you were saying, part of being a writer is often, um, it, it often involves a degree of loneliness. Mm. And there can also be a sense of competition, jealousy, you know, the sort of natural emotions that aren't always so pleasant mm-hmm. to have. And so there are all sorts of ways to be a good literary citizen. And the best thing is that they don't necessarily cost you anything monetarily, which is a great thing because, you know, we don't (laughs) necessarily get paid a lot for for what we do as writers. Mm. Um, And so citizenship can be 
I mean, what you're doing is obviously a great work of literary citizenship because you are also giving a platform to people who are getting their stories out for the first time or more experienced voices continuing to reach their audiences and connecting them with readers and viewers. Um, But literary citizenship, you don't even have to be a writer to do it. You can share a review of a book you've read on Amazon. Mm. Um, You can take a picture of a new book you've just purchased and put it on Instagram or Facebook and tag Mm. the publishing company or the writer. It's just a way of supporting the community um, that is a nice, um, I suppose, opposite direction <laughs> from <laughs> from some of the more negative feelings that can sometimes crop up in the in the literary world. Fascinating. It's interesting because I'm so, in a sense, disconnected from that, right. like in a weird way. Um, you so didn't that's... have the pleasure of going to an MFA program or anything like that. <laughs> well, that's actually funny because I was considering that yes. for a while. And then what happened? I guess life happened mm-hmm. or something. But it was something I was really interested in doing. And then, uh, oh, and then I went to Yeshiva. And then after I went to Yeshiva, I was planning. And then I got married. And so it was like a whole story there um, in terms of that, just because. Uh, I remember actually, this is a total tangent, but I feel like I got to bring it up because it's, you just reminded me of it. I, uh, I remember being at a meal with, uh, one of the rabbis in the community or, or not necessarily a rabbi, but person of standing in the community. I remember exactly who it was and my wife and someone else. We were just talking about, um, I don't remember the whole context. We were just kind of talking about plans after marriage and that's where they're kind of helping guide us and you know we were fresh off the boat Balchuva like I was literally fresh off the plane Balchuva from Israel and <clears throat> I'm we were talking about writing and someone was like you just you can't make a living with writing you can't be married and, and be a writer mm-hmm. um and I remember just making a decision like okay I'm not gonna be a writer because <laughs> at that time I remember being like I was so um fired up about getting married and so focused on it and, and what was so funny about it ironically was that big reason that uh, Rivka and I, uh, Rivka, my wife and I had decided to get uh, married was where that we had kind of opened the door to that is because we had both talked about how much we loved creativity, how committed we were to it. And ironically, like, you know, I allowed like quote, like in quotation marks, religion to get in the way of that. And that's one of, I don't know if it's a regret, but it's something I look back on and I'm like shocked that I made that decision. And, I realized, like, for example, like, I probably would have gone to an MFA program if that hadn't happened, and I wouldn't. And um, I know I'm totally but going on a tangent. I actually think what you're doing is, is so much more interesting because to me, right, that's you so- are writing and you're putting it, a lot of it, not mm-hmm. not necessarily all of it, but a lot of it in this religious context. And so you're able right. to, no, I mean- to fuse them in a in a really beautiful way. Right. That's why I guess I wouldn't word it as a regret, right. but I would word it as like- you know, it's it's interesting because I think like that to me is like showing how Hashem is so incredible because I, I would say that that was a decision that was like, in theory, negatively could affect my creativity, but actually ended up being like the best thing for my mm-hmm. creativity that I ended up having to, we, we ended up moving to Israel because of that. We ended up doing this and that, all these things that eventually led to like where we are now, you know? So that's beautiful. I totally agree. Um 
but I'm also, you know, what's, but what's fascinating is that even now that memory affects how I do other things. Like when people, for example, talk about making a living off of creativity and these sorts of things, I'm just like, be irrational, <laughs> you know? Or just accept yeah. that you're perhaps not going to be able to do the creativity 24 seven. Fair and, enough. Fair enough. And put it, you know, make sure make sure that you're still able to conserve some of the time for that creativity. That's interesting. So you, tricky. you So you think that was like the right uh advice, maybe? Well I think I think it's I think there are a lot of things to consider. And I think that especially if you have a family, you have children, you have to mm. feed them and <laughs> have a roof over their heads. And you know, you really you do need to have some some income, obviously, coming in. And, you know, you can't necessarily publish your poems for free mm. on websites and 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 not have something else. There has to be some other income channel, you know. This is why we have the Maven here. This is great. I love this. Um, it's so interesting. So you're a full-time writer, right? Well, I feel as though my existence is that of a full-time writer, but it isn't necessarily that I'm doing my own writing all oh, right. the time. You, you're also, right now you're at Fig Tree right. Publishing. I've been at, at Fig Tree Books for right. about three years, and I am the, I've been the media editor there, mm. which involves handling the social media, and that involves drafting a lot of, you know, short text for, you know, tweets, for instance, right. but also working on press releases and website copy and, and things like that. Right. That's so interesting because I think, so that's why you're saying you feel like a full-time writer in a sense because you're right. you're working in the literary world, you're doing this sort of stuff. And before that, yeah. I had a job which was very writing intensive. Right. Um, my job before that was at the City University of New York in the Office of Academic Affairs. I was the communications director. And mm. so I was also similarly writing a lot, but it wasn't you know, I wasn't writing poems, for instance. That <laughs> right. That didn't. That wouldn't have gone over very well, you know, as a commencement speech necessarily, or <laughs> some of the ghostwriting projects I did. Yes. Wow, that's so interesting. Because yeah, I guess that shows. You know, I was literally just talking to a friend. I think it was was it today? I mean, today or yesterday? And he's a uh, musician. He's a, a pianist, and he was talking about how he kind of goes back and forth between like focusing on the practical, like making a living and really focusing on his music. And, and he feels, you know, he's trying to kind of find this balance where he's able to kind of really feel like he's committed to both in a sense. And I guess that today, these days, that's something we really have to do. You have to. I mean, there, yeah. there was a time where a lot of people may have hoped that they went to an MFA program mm -hmm. and then they could get a job teaching creative writing and a, a tenure track or tenured position teaching creative writing at a university and therefore, you know, teach a couple of classes a week once you're advanced enough that you're maybe teaching, you know, a two-two load or something wonderful like that <coughs> and have summers off and have time for sabbaticals and all sorts of nice plums. Um, but I think a few things happened. One was that there's been a real deluge of new MFA programs, many of them in the low residency model where you don't need to be on campus and mm. larger classes are possible because people just come to campus for a week or mm. 
a week, twice, two weeks a year. Um, and so there are all sorts of new MFA graduates and not enough jobs necessarily for people who would want to teach mm. because also at the same time, university budgets are shrinking. You know the story. So, yeah. um, so, so for instance, I had this, this dream that I, I was going to, you know, go to my MFA program and, um, you know, become this famous fiction writer <laughs> or not even so famous, but a decent enough fiction writer with a decent enough publication record that I would be hired by a university and I could teach creative writing and live happily ever after with all of my <laughs> awards and things. <laughs> And that didn't happen. I actually wrote a kind of fun essay. I don't know if, if we can put together some show notes, but it could be a fun. Sure. Um, it's called After the MFA, and mm-hmm. it's it's um it's a text based on a speech that I gave or a little talk I gave at a conference a few years ago. I think and I heard of this it, or saw it or it, something. They put it on the Poets and Writers website. So it, it got around. It, it got read. And people mm-hmm. really responded to it because I think I spoke you know similarly for a lot of other people who had had similar hopes and then, you know, the reality hits and Mm. you may not be able to get that teaching job. And you find, as I did, that adjuncting and freelancing are hard um, (laughs) and not necessarily very stable. Um, That's part of the reason that they can be really difficult. Um, And that's when I I tried that for a little while while I still thought maybe I'm going to get this tenure track job somehow. And then I ended up going back to, um, I, I ended up going to the job at CUNY, which was a, a regular staff job. But I think that that's more, that, that's sort of the, the reality now is mm. that the old vision of the creative writing person who then becomes a professor and goes off into the sunset that way, there's just fewer possibilities for that and more writers. So we have to find something else. So interesting. Some more writers. I think, uh, you know, what's interesting is like, it reminds me of how I felt, you know, when I f- started to get into writing and I was starting a blog and kind of moving away from established writing sites and working on my own stuff, I started to realize how I was, I was actually really grateful at the time that I had just a job that had nothing to do with what my writing right. was. Because besides like just the idea of having like a safety net and all these things, for me, actually, as someone who likes to write, who likes, who, how do I put this? Uh, who hates gatekeepers and hates, um, hates, quote unquote, like establishment rules and all these things and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hierarchies. Like, hierarchies right. and whatever. I'm like, at, le- at least back then, especially, I felt like that. And I, I, I remember being so grateful that I had this job because then I could just write whatever right? and no one could say anything. And if people liked it, they would like it. And I think, um, you know, was, maybe... Was it a time-limited... I mean, not not a time-limited in terms of a term-limited job, but did it, did it leave you time to write or was it kind of all-consuming? <laughs> so it's actually really interesting because I... The way that my writing evolved was that, especially when I came to New York, that was when... My writing started to my writing productivity started to take off for a number of reasons, but one of them was that I decided to start writing every day on the subway mm-hmm. on the way to work, and that is essentially how I've been writing since then. Like that's right. just been my writing style, and that you know an hour on the subway or forty five minutes, depending on if I take it longer, <laughs> so I can write more. I mean, can you're the guy who's like hoping for delays. 
Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or takes it. Sometimes I'll take. I, I think I spoke about this another one. I, I will take it like all the way up to like Harlem or something, and I'll be like, oh, I better go back. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but that's you know again. I think it's like that's such a perfect example. I feel like of the kind of adaptations we have to make in this world of like. And there, are, there are there are plenty of writers who have jobs that are not at all connected to writing, and they say mm. they they really enjoy that. Right. You know, um, I don't have that many other skills, so <laughs> it would be a problem. But right. I, I I have thought about that. How you know other jobs could be really freeing too. Right. Well, I think it's cool because it shows that, um, like for example, you had this romantic notion, but I think what would be cool is like, what if we realize that everything could kind of be romantic. Like if we found the right way of doing it, there's always a way to make the experience romantic, you know? Plus I am also, I mean, I did have enough experience teaching in another field and, and I, and staying in academia and the the administrative side of things and keeping Mm -hmm. up with what was going on in that world to realize that actually I would probably have been fairly unhappy, (laughs) especially in more recent years with things going on on campuses. And I, I would have not been the, (laughs) would have, it wouldn't have been such a great Hmm. golden dream after all. Wow. That's fascinating. Um, you know, I, I did want to ask you about something else. I was, I'm curious, you know, I think that for so many people, we were talking about this before we were on air, but uh, on air. Can we say on air? If we're know. not live? I don't on know. On stream. On stream, <laughs> streaming before we were uh, in the future streaming from right. now. Um, whenever we're in someone's uh, earbuds right now. Um, we were talking about uh, just like how much you have produced for how long. Like, or we actually, we mentioned it here. It was since 2004 you've been doing it. But I was also talking about how impressed I was. <laughs> I was trying to that's think, not what I'm trying, trying to, to point I was, out I was actually trying to think with your with your guests so far that I'm I'm probably the oldest so far and um and also probably the least Jewishly educated um and so I consider myself a, a contributor to your diversity <laughs> quotient for the for the podcast and I'm I'm no I'm and I and I'm, I say that sort of half in jest but very truthfully too because it's one of the things and now I'm interrupting you and I'm very no, sorry this is great. but one of the things that I did want to say is that one of the things I really appreciate about the community that you've established is that you have been so open to to different sorts of Jews Jews and Jewish writers and that you know that somebody like me could publish a poem mm. on on your site you know I mean I think that's really wonderful and it's one of the things that I'm always looking for more of uh, a greater um, inclusivity and mm. welcoming among among Jews because as much as we talk about the problems that we may find in the external world and in the the in the secular so-called mainstream literary world we know we also have our own issues mm-hmm. intramurally and so um so I just I just wanted to give a shout out to <laughs> to that and to another it's another reason why I'm 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 very happy and excited to be here but also a little nervous so you know yeah, Continue well, to excuse me. We will be giving you a test, uh, <laughs> the Gamora and whatever. We'll... All right. <laughs> Just as long as you ask me how to say notebook, I'm okay. So. <laughs> Impressive. Yes. Um, you know, uh, it's so funny. I mean, there's so many thoughts I have about that. Like, first of all, I find that funny just because... Like, if you think about it, you've been doing a service to the Jewish people that I think would be incomparable. For a lot of people, would be incomparable. Like, and I think... Just to limit things to this and that, like, just think, um, 
Just well, think that's a dangerous road to go down. I'm also, I am in a very much, and we may end up talking about this, and this is also another reason why I'm so excited to be here, is that I am in a real phase, and I have been for the last several years, of learning and mm-hmm. can, and trying to expand my my Jewish knowledge and on a lot of different levels. A lot of that is text-based. Mm. Some of that is history. Um, and I'm even thinking, I'm contemplating, I would love to be able to go back to Hebrew school, but I'm just trying to find the right sort of program for myself. Mm. So, um, so I feel that I'm in a, even though I'm supposedly a trained writer and, you know, I've had all of, I've gone to all these conferences, I have an MFA, I blah, blah. <laughs> um, the really exciting learning for me now is, is in Jewishness mm-hmm. and, and trying to incorporate that into my writing practice in all kinds of ways. So, oh, and man. now we've, we've gone That's off a- into a tangent. I'm really... This is not a tangent. <laughs> this is like the thing we should be talking about. <laughs> it's great. Um, so actually, you know what? I'm actually very curious. For like, There's so much there to cover, but the one thing I'm, I'm curious about first is how you decided to start My Machberet since, you know, what what was it that, that inspired you in general to, to want to be involved in Jewish creativity and these sorts of things, you know? Well, in the I, first place. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I think part of it also goes back um, to my experience being someone writing about some Jewish things um, in in settings that were not necessarily Jewish. So again, we'll go, um, I, I'll go back to my MFA program. And um, I sent you a copy or a, a, an e-copy of my book. Mm-hmm. And three of the stories in the book were written during my MFA program. Oh, and um, in the inaugural cohort, there were, I think, 16 or 17 fiction writers and 10 poets or something like that. And of us, there were two Jews of the fiction writers. The other, And the other Jewish student um, was far more ritually observant than me. Mm. And we had an odd, I, th- I would say there was sort of an odd friction there. I, I don't really even want to go into it. But anyway, <laughs> um, but I did have what's, a sense. Uh, what's the person's name? <laughs> uh, I you know, I mean, again, you know, this is the, it's the, it's the welcoming sort of thing. I, I sense, for instance, you know, we, we had deadlines and we had a deadline that came up. We were all supposed to submit something, you know, it happened to be, it must've been a September 15th. That was also about Kol Nidre. And she said to me, you know, isn't it terrible? We have this deadline. And I thought, well, first of all, I've written a whole poem about how I finish everything early. I consider it part of my German Jewish background, my Pukleschkeit. There was no way I was even going to need the deadline, but we knew about it months ahead. You you can plan if you know that it's going to be Kol Nidre. Maybe you don't want to leave the assignment till sundown. You know, it's not that. And I always and I felt sort of you know judged as a reform Jew also um, from somebody who was who who didn't seem to enjoy that very much. I'm not even sure I should have. Anyway, the, the, the point, but, but at least, you know, she, I think had Again, a, what's, what was her name? <laughs> at least she, In her Twitter account? she had a sense mm. of, um, uh, you know, of, of some of the history that I was writing about mm. and some of the, the language and customs. And, mm. and it's something that we hear about all the time now in terms of writers from other marginalized communities. Um, 
the Juno Diaz piece on MFA versus POC. We hear about need, mm. the need for sensitivity readers, and and you know, we want to have diversity and inclusion in writing workshops. But somehow, I have felt that that hasn't always extended toward Jews or to people writing about Jewish mm. subjects. And um, and that's there. I'm I'm trying to write something about that. Um, that'll be hopefully more articulate and um, nuanced than the way I'm expressing it right now. Because when I do talk about this with other writers who have, who focus on Jewish content and we discuss our experiences, these stories, there are, the stories are there just as they're there in other mm. in other communities of writers as well. So what, what exactly is missing? Is it that people aren't as interested or it's not as encouraged or... In in terms of this world that you're discussing, I think that there's um, there. I think there are a few things going on. First of all, there are lots of stereotypes. You'll find stereotypes of other people's stereotypes of Jewish characters. Oh, so when they write about they, Jews, or yeah, because you know we all. This is the other thing. My my other issue that I have not found a way to articulate it. You know, um, a lot of writing, a lot of the stories that we write about today's world or any world are not taking place in bubbles, and they are intercultural mm. stories. I mean, people of different backgrounds mm. will be in the same setting, will be in the same plot, and so I'll give another example from um, from a. From my MFA program, I was sitting there at the graduating readings, and one of my classmates had a little, just, it was, you know, almost a throwaway line about how the landlords, the Kleins, had, (laughs) had cheated, had cheated the characters. And, and I, and, and there were actually some Jewish faculty at the campus, and I, I spoke with one of them, and I said, you know, that, kind of bugged me. And I didn't know if she was aware that Klein, you know, Klein means small. Was that an extra little dig? These small people, these small, you know, mean, shifty people. Um, and, and he said to me, he said, I do not share your obsessions. So whereas in other communities, there's this sense that, um, the students will be supported by the faculty and other students. Like in this instance, I went to someone and he, whether, you know, look, we're all, again, we're all different, even if we all have a nominally Jewish identity and it didn't bother him. So that's fine for him, but it bothered me. Um, wow. And. Well, and I mean, then, just oh, not even to feel heard. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Right. Like, no, he didn't even. It wasn't even that he was like trying to have a discussion. It was more like. And by the you know, at the same time, I couldn't help thinking that if there had been, if it hadn't been a Jewish, if it hadn't been a Jewish stereotype, if it had been some sort of caricature reference to mm. somebody from another group, mm-hmm. that there would have been sort of a collective outrage. Right. And but with the Jews, it's you know. That's so interesting. Sorry. So you have felt, and like, I see that, and that's not a that's not a unique, right thing, right. You're seeing this in in other places, in other. And writers. then, and then again, and then too, mm. um, there are situations where it's a matter of knowledge. And I've I wrote a piece about this um, that I wrote a, one of the stories in the book mm. um, is set during the time of the 1972 Munich Olympics, mm. and. Um, and one of my workshop, one of my workshop classmates, I don't know if people, everyone listening to this knows how writing workshops work, but anyway, 
Um, she made it clear from her comments about the things I should do to fix my story, you mm-hmm. know, that this that she thought I had made this up, what happened, and also that I needed to make it a little more clear who um, the Israeli prime minister, Mrs. Mayer, was. It wasn't clear who she was. And I said, <laughs> well, she's the Israeli prime minister, <laughs> Golden Mayer. I mean, you know. Yeah. And so... Um, that's and that could also I mean it I'm not saying that that's necessarily an anti-Jewish thing but just that if you are writing about Jewish topics mm-hmm. it can sometimes be challenging um it's interesting so in you those settings is that so that's why like for example my Barrett uh, started was as a a kind of a way to provide resources to Jewish writers and- that was absolutely one of those yeah that was that was part of the drive. Interesting. And so, what, what was the hope then? Like that, once they have those things, they'll be more equipped to put out work about. Like, what what exactly would you hope would be something could be accomplished? Well, in that sense? you know, I think that it was a a very micro effort for what I'm hoping to still see more of, mm-hmm. which. And again, I'll refer to what's going on in in some other communities where there are entire conferences and retreats and programs really designed for writers to work (coughs) on their craft, to learn from people who are expert in their craft, to focus on studying um, or reading their their own canons, so to speak. Um, and and I feel that that's missing to a large degree. You're saying so there are these retreats for people of other ethnicities and other... Like, identity groups. Uh, identity groups. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Interesting. So, for okay. Sure. So, yeah. All right. I hear what you're saying. And, yeah. And there are a couple and, of things um, for... For instance, there's a wonderful program um, that's run at the Yiddish Book Center. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's for younger writers and it's, and it's, it's a week and it's, it's a fairly small program. And I would just love to see more for those of us who may, again, you know, I'm, you're looking at me. I don't look that old, right? I mean, you know, Come I'm still, on. <laughs> and this I'm is still, audio anyway, right. whatever. Well, but you are looking at me. I'm saying uh, so you're sitting across the table. No, you can, I know, you but can I'm vouch saying. for me that I, you know, <laughs> I'm not decrepit yet, and I still feel that I have something to offer in my mm. writing. And just as you were saying, I mean, you saw me sort of gesture. It meant so much. I really do want to be serving the Jewish people, and in, mm. in to the extent I can do that with my own creativity would be great. Right now, I do see that I'm doing it more as a facilitator or connector, trying to make sure that other writers know about resources available to them, promoting work that I think needs to be promoted, should be promoted, more people should read. I mean, there's really, when I fall in love with a book, you Mm -hmm. know, I just want other people to read it. And I want people to be following these writers. And I have, you know, ways, and the blogs help me do that. Mm -hmm. My Social media helps me do that. Um, That's so cool. So I guess, uh, you know, it's interesting just to go back to something you were saying earlier in terms of these like conferences for that mm-hmm. you would like to see for right. Jewish writers and, and just providing these resources as you're describing. Like is the hope then then that people will be equipped enough that then they'll go back into 
the secular writing world and and then be able to address some of these issues right. that you're talking about? Exactly, because then mm. there there will be instances or or situations where there are um <coughs> larger conferences or larger events and larger settings for instance every year there's this big conference called the AWP conference mm. the Association of Writers and Writing Programs thousands and thousands of writers go um and there are often you know panels on writing from x experience or y experience or x and y experience mm. <laughs> often very intersectional sorts of things mm-hmm. um not a whole lot on Jewish experience mm. for others at the conference to learn from or take part in. I am happy that in 2011, again, I did pull together and I proposed a, conf- a panel for the conference that year that was accepted and was really well attended and was great. But I feel that such efforts are, are few and far between. Mm. Um, what do you think? So. Do you think it's do you think it's all on these writing programs or do you like I have a you know I tend to look uh critically also at the the Jewish world when it comes to stuff like this. Yes. I yeah, <laughs> yeah as I, I mean as I was saying before yeah. in a slightly different, you know, slant. Um there's there's reason to be critical of the external world and there's reason mm. to be critical of the internal world and of ourselves. And I think the one, the, I, I find myself becoming more and more passionate about mm. this. The more my own Jewish writing, mm. and I'm saying that almost in quotes, <laughs> um, expands and deepens beyond, beyond um, you know, writing about my grandparents being refugees from Nazi Germany. Mm. You know, or um, you know, eating bagels. You know, that's that's not. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's part of it. That's part of Jewish experience. Right. But it's a it's a slice, and there is so much more. And I feel that the more I'm becoming educated about the Jewish world and our inheritance, text, history, all of that, there is so much more mm. for us to be working on ourselves and our own work and to be sharing with the world. You know, I am curious, just a thought I had while we're talking, I'm curious what you think Um, that I feel like it seems to me like this also might be partly connected to like a unique issue that the Jewish people face, which is that you have kind of these two groups of Jews. One, which is um, for example, when it goes into a world of, whatever the profession is or whatever the identity is like where Judaism becomes almost something that's a burden in a sense. Like it becomes something that's keeping them from feeling successful uh, and that sort of thing. Whereas then there's another group of people and I'm, 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 I'm sure I'm oversimplifying, but another group of Jews who for them, they see, they almost see the same danger, but in, in like a mirror image of it where, going into the secular world would be dangerous and going into mm. those sorts of things right. means that they have to give up those things. Cause maybe they, you know, and, and it's almost like they feed each other the same narrative because either way, the idea is that when you're in that world, like you can't be just a Jewish person proudly living as a Jew or, or whatever. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like there's something going on there that dichotomy Seems to me because that's I'm, something I'm obsessed with when it comes to the Orthodox world, and why I think like for example the network that we built on Hebrea started off being Orthodox because that was that world I was part of, and I felt that very strongly. Um, 
it just seems to me like there's something going on there in terms of how we look at ourselves and how we def- define ourselves and what we see as challenges. We see like this whole assimilation thing, I think, mm-hmm. is a fascinating topic. So what that makes me think of from kind of, I guess, the other side um, <clears throat> is what I've noticed as a uh, an odd pattern, or to me it's an odd pattern, among Jews who, um, Jewish writers who are very, it seems like they're they're happy to take advantage of the opportunities to read in Jewish reading series and go to JCCs and present their work and win awards, Jewish book awards and things. Mm. But they'll say, well, I'm not really a Jewish writer. I'm a writer. <laughs> and there's this this fear, which I think, or, or an anxiety that again, I, that has, I've heard replicated in other identity groups. They they don't want to be known as a Jewish writer or, you know, uh, a gay writer or what, whatever. They mm. want to be known as a writer. Um, and I respect that. That's, that makes a lot of sense. But then I think that you have to recognize that there's something a little awkward about um, leveraging, which is what some people do, mm. you know, the attention that you can get from certain parts of the Jewish community um, for your work. And I, I've written about this too. And when I, when I tend to get annoyed about something, I write, I write about it. Isn't that it. what I, writing is for? That's right. I thought that's what it is. Um, whereas <laughs> I feel that I, for, like for me, I'm very, very proud to be a Jewish writer and to call myself a Jewish writer. And um, I don't, I don't know. I, I just, um, you know, it, to, to, to win, to win a, an award for, for Jewish work or to find out that my work is being included um, on, a, on a syllabus of, you know, Jewish literature, it means so much to me. I think it's great if it's just on a list of great short stories that I've read recently or whatever list is somebody's putting together. But for me, there's a great meaning to the the Jewish label, and I, somebody who's also spoken about this a little bit is uh, Dara Horn. I heard her give a talk where she said, um, you know, and it's true. You you go if you go to the events that are often held, a panel of Jewish writers, and they're asked, well, what's Jewish writing? <laughs> what's a Jewish writer? And Dara said, a Jewish writer is somebody who finds herself on a panel being asked this question. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's really good. That is really good. Um, <laughs> And, and anyway, I admire her tremendously and her work. So, um, yes, that was that was sort of the thought that came to me. That I feel that that, or I sense that there are some writers who aren't necessarily coming from Orthodox backgrounds who feel that they will lose something if they are pigeonholed. Right. Um, you know, there's another uh, a saying: is it is it is a an identity or a label before writer, is it a, a pigeonhole or a portal oh, wow. kind of thing? Um, the same thing for literature, you mm-hmm. know, because sometimes it's really helpful to have those labels. I mean, there's there's also this interesting tension when in our current moment, we're always being considered to read diversely and read others' experiences. And <laughs> some ways, and, and you should, how many, you know, there are people who are, who are keeping tracks on their reading lists, mm-hmm. you know, that... They take projects. This year, I'm going to read books only by women, or I'm going to make sure I read, you know, a certain percentage of of books by writers of color, or you know, a number of things. And I think, well, how 
are we supposed to be able to pay attention to those things if we're also not supposed to, quote, ghettoize mm -hmm. and categorize literature? Like, aren't, how are mm -hmm. we going to know where to look? I, I, you know, I mean, it would, it would right. be fabulous if we just magically knew of the hundreds of thousands of books that are, <laughs> millions of books that are out there, which ones will fit which buckets that we're now all supposed to pay attention to. But you sometimes need to make an effort, and that's when I think that that lists and categories can be helpful. Um, you know what I... Uh I have this theory, I don't even know, it's definitely not my theory, but a, a theory that I tend to think about a lot, which is that, um, you know, the mainstream, right? We're, we're, this is like a big topic these days. Right. What's the main, mainstream media, mainstream, et cetera? That I think that we're running into a time where we're starting to understand that mainstream is its own thing as well. Like whatever we call mainstream is you know, let's say white and straight and, and these sorts of mm -hmm. things. It's it it's an identity in and of itself. And I think that the issue is, in my opinion, and I, I would love to hear what your thoughts are, is that that, that mainstream was defined a certain way. Right. Like, again, white, straight, male, et cetera, et cetera. It sounds a little bit, uh, you know, simplifying, but I think that essentially that, that was kind of the structure that was built for – for many different reasons and historically is just kind of the way to succeed was to, if you're not part of that group to assimilate into that group in whatever way you can, uh, or, if, and that might mean in the right, the way you, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, but the, the interesting thing though, is hmm. that now Jews are considered part of that mainstream by many, in, many people, including other Jews. Right. Um, and I just have never felt that way. And I don't know if that's because in my experience, I am so much closer um, chronologically and affectively to not just the immigrant experience, but the refugee immigrant experience. I mean, my dad's parents came here from Germany. They were young adults in the late 1930s. My mother's mother also was an immigrant, but she came, she sort of came as a child under the wire before that 1924, that nasty law. Mm. And so I personally um, never felt as assimilated into, you know, the so-called mainstream. Right. And um, so I really push back against these, the, the lists and the discourse in the literary sphere that, you know, will put Philip Roth mm. as white male writer. Right. And that's it. That's his identity. Right. I see something more than that going on. Yeah. Um, and as, again, as I continue to become more and more educated and have learned about, you know, other refugee communities, not just in the United States, but for instance, Jews from the Middle East expelled from mm -hmm. Arab lands and obviously the Jews from the Soviet ex-Soviet Union coming to the United States more recently. <clears throat> um, and I've become much more aware of Jews of color and, you know, it's, it's just a different picture so that when people say, oh, well, Jewish writing, you know, mm. that's nothing, <laughs> nothing to see here. You know, I just feel that there is, there, all those experiences may not yet be represent. I'm hungry to see more of those represent, more of those experiences represented in the literature. Um, I agree that 
there is um, a kind of what's called an Ashka normativity to mm. a great deal of the literature of American Jewish experience. And the more that we can depart from that, um, I think the better for for everybody. Um, but I just still, you know, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I just have never felt and part and, and part of it is also I think again I mean we could it's now it's sort of becoming a therapy hour about you know my childhood was split in half literally when I was a little past nine we moved from Sheepshead Bay Brooklyn where there were a lot of Jews let's mm. say right to a neighborhood in New Jersey where I was the only Jewish kid in the class mm. and there were restricted country clubs mm. you know and there was uh, so I certainly didn't feel in the mainstream there, you know, right. uh, for the second half of my childhood. Right. And um, and the, the mainstream that I lived in Brooklyn, while certainly mainstream for a certain segment of Brooklyn, is not, quote, mainstream, you know, right. America. Right. You know, so so that's where I, I find that, um, you know. It's, well, yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. It's like a misunderstanding of... Of what mainstream even is like right. that—that that you would inc- that someone could include someone who's writing something that's like overtly Jewish, especially like an, in the in, and think of it in mainstream because it fits into a certain construct. Like I think, I mean, to me, it's just again, it's like we don't even these these words and these categories and these things like they confuse us a lot of times. I think right, you know? they do. They are confusing, but <laughs> the reality is that. That's the world we're living in these days. And I mean, people are counting who gets which awards and how many, <laughs> you know, and 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 if that is the world that we're going to live in, then I think we need to sort of, <laughs> I'm going to be very brazen here. I think we, we need to stand up for ourselves mm. and say, look, we have things to say too. And they haven't all been said before. Mm. So listen to us. By we, you mean Jews, yes. you mean Jewish, Jewish writers. Yes. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, I just, I, and I feel like that, like, you know, we keep we kind of are touching on like how we're kind of in different spheres to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that is something that I would love to see Orthodox Jews pushing because I feel like them, if 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 this di- this dichotomy that I touched on earlier between like, um, you know, the Jews in the quote unquote mainstream and 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 Orthodox Jew, Jewish creators and creatives and writers could start to see that there isn't really a dichotomy between them because essentially what you're describing are things that Orthodox Jews would be amazing at doing if they allowed themselves right. to, you know? Right. And I feel like right now what we're doing is ironic, like it's funny because I'm talking to someone who, who does this, but we're, we're talking very much amongst ourselves, you know? And right. But you are helping people start to take those steps, I think. Well, I think... And I think that touches on what we talked about earlier, which is my Machber, which is, uh, again, your Jewish uh, blog. I know you know that, but for everyone else, the, um, that when we provide like this home of support and resource, that can then, that gives people strength, I think, mm-hmm. to do that. Well, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I hope, that, I know that you're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that I'm doing that in some very small way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I think that, the, the, I mean, I just find that fascinating because I, can often get sucked into like feeling a little 
hopeless or despair in the sense of, well, are we, are we just going more and more inwards? Is that what's going on here? Are we, is, how is that affecting things beyond Hevria or beyond our communities that we've worked on? And that's something that seems to always be a, a little bit of a tension um, and, and whatever. But I, I, I really I, like, and I think that's why, for example, voices like yours within Hevria and then Hevria voices within your world, et cetera, are so important because that's the only way I think it's going to start happening. When we start mm-hmm. to branch out, even like if we're just talking about the Jewish world, once we start to branch out, we can strengthen each other and kind of address each other's quote unquote weaknesses and strengths. Right. You know, I mean, I think that there are there are some risks that, that, that people have to take. Mm. Um so from from your world again, I'm I'm like sort of using quotes from yeah, your I know. world. <laughs> people people I, I'm just thinking again again, I don't I don't pretend to be well educated about any of this, but my impression is that there there are certainly pressures and limitations um with some Orthodox publications, for example. Like there's some content you're just not permitted, some language you're not permitted to use, right? Now I, my sense is that you personally are more flexible on the, on your site yeah. topic, you know, content wise and and such. <laughs> it's hard um, for me not to laugh about this topic. But yeah. at the same time, the people on my side, um, you know, <laughs> we we need to sort of learn about what rests behind that, hmm. right? And we also, I think. I mean, this is one of my current projects is to try to just also learn more about our our common history and our common inheritance, which is Torah and Tanakh. And this is where I am. I'm in a, a group of women writers. We're a small group and we meet regularly and we're of different backgrounds. Um, and we're this is the work that we're undertaking. And, mm. you know. I think some great things from for all of us are happening uh-huh. from it. But one of the things is that I am feeling more connected to people who know so much more than I do hmm. about all of this. I'm I'm sort of inching closer, um, at least in intellectually. You know, I'm I'm I I'm probably not going to take on all of the same ritual observances and hmm. beliefs, but um, you know, I at least can 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 share the parashat and, and, and know, you know, what's going on in the text and what the commentators have said and, and all of that. And that's meaningful. And I, and, and I think, I, and I hope that that's going to make me, you know, more, um, I don't know, more, I mean, I feel very welcome in your community, but mm. in others that might, you know, say, oh, a reformed Jew, what does she know? Mm. You know? Right. She doesn't, you know, she's keeps her lights on, Shabbat, all of that. You know, like I... Oh, wait, you keep your light? <laughs> you can't be on this podcast. I right. might even, you know what? It depends on, you know, when you post it and how quickly I'm able to listen to it. I might even listen to it on Shabbat. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. This is, wow. This yeah. is rough. This yeah. one's not coming out. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I think to me, the power of what you're describing is, is really beautiful because it's like it's so easy to talk about these things on in terms of societies and this and that and but the beauty I think of Judaism and and, and, and a lot of religions but I think especially Judaism that we can no matter what we can always come down to our beliefs and our Torah and our like no matter what that's always going to be a connection between any 
type of person that's that's Jewish. Like even if we have different points of view on it, um, you know. And I think that that allows the more that we, I think, at least on a personal level, can start to tap into that. I think that creates what you're kind of describing, which is at least the ability to communicate with each other. You right. know, and that's that's so important. Um, right. Um. So wow, you gave me a lot of hope there at the end. That was beautiful. Oh, that's good. Hope is good. Yeah, it's definitely. Especially it's a good way now. to end. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so we have a few minutes left. Do you want to plug anything, get the word out? Anything you want to share with us? Um, well, I'll say that my current project, um, and a lot of it stemming from this work that I've been doing with my friends, mm-hmm. uh, is a poetry collection. I'm putting together a manuscript. Oh. And so... Um, if at any point there is anyone who would be interested in looking at my poetry collection, which is highly Jewish, although not exclusively Jewish content, um, they should reach out. Let me know. I have a website, ericadreyfus.com. I have a contact form there. And um, I can, you can find me on Twitter as well and on my Erica Dreyfus author Facebook page. And uh, so that I guess that's the plug I'll do for for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will just say that if you follow me on those places, you'll also see me plugging other people's work as I am want to do. <laughs> and, uh, and just, and, and you keep up the great work that you're doing because it's really fabulous. Thank you for having me here. Of course. It's our pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Hivria Cast. I'm Aladna Harai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hevria.com or facebook.com slash hevriamag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City, and the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. Oh, uh-huh.